Welcome back to another episode of Sleep Whispers. I'm Harris, and this is a podcast of whispered ramblings and whispered readings to help you to relax and fall asleep. This is a batch episode, which means I've taken some specific sections from older episodes and I've bundled them together into this episode. If you are interested in accessing all the old episodes, bonus episodes, videos, or photos, then you can learn more by going to my website at sleepwhispers.com. And now, for a batch of finely aged whispers. I hope you enjoy them. Tonight's curious quote is from Chuck Palahniuk, and here's what it is. To merely observe your culture without contributing to it seems very close to existing as a ghost. I like this quote. Well, I don't know why I said it's dumb. Of course I like it, because it's in my quote book, and I bring it on the podcast. Well, I guess sometimes, though, I I critique the quotes. Sometimes I do have issues with the quotes. Alright, anyway. Uh, so this quote mentions that you can kind of be like a ghost if you just observe rather than contribute. And for me, for much of my youth, I did exist as a ghost because I was very shy, reserved, and quiet, I guess, as a child. And as a adolescent, up until I started college. And I just, I remember the, the feeling of like the more people that were near me or around me, then 
was more likely to be shy and to be quiet and to observe situations rather than participate. And I I think it was and is because I still I still feel this way a lot of times, but it's driven by my fear of failure, fear of criticism, and I guess fear of ridicule would be a good strong term to put, to put it in. In college, I wrote an essay for a class. I don't know if it was, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I just caught myself getting rambly. Uh, I wrote an essay about being a shy person. And I didn't describe myself as a ghost, but instead as an egg, which was a better metaphor to me, or was a good metaphor to me, because a ghost is, it's an end stage, it's a dead thing. And I didn't feel that way. I felt the opposite. I felt like an egg wanting to hatch, but waiting a really long time to do that. And it did happen. I did finally come out of my shell, like consciously, like just deciding it was time, and it was in my, my senior year of high school, you know, just about the time I was heading off to college, and from then on I would push myself comfortable in large crowds and to be more open, I guess, with strangers, um, to be more engaging.
examples and stories I could share. But I'll just pick one right now because I think it is a good example of this for me. It was 1999, and there was another Woodstock Music Festival being organized. So it was called Woodstock 99. The, the very first Woodstock was in 1969, and I wasn't even born yet when the first Woodstock happened. So this, in a way, was my first opportunity to, you know, attend a big Woodstock music festival. So I decided to go, and I was also going by myself. So this was part of this, you know, push myself to, you know, be in large crowds and and to just do it by myself. And I was, I was very excited, actually, about it. I mean, fearful, but excited. And I started to visualize how fun it was going to be. I'd already been to other, you know, big music festivals, and I knew that there were always some strange and quirky people at these events who actually added to the fun because they would, like, dress up in some festive, crazy, or outrageous way. And I remember the moment that I decided I was going to go to Woodstock 99, and I was going to be one of those crazy, festive, quirky people dressed up in some way. I was not going to go to this event to just observe and somewhat participate by being there. But I was going to contribute in some way to the event. I was going to make the festival just a little bit more fun for others. Alright, so here's what I did. I borrowed a Santa Claus suit and then I bought a bunch of candy, like bags and bags of candy. And I put the candy in a pillowcase. And sure enough, I 
follow through with my plan. And for several hours on each of the days of the event, because I think it was like a three-day event, uh, I walked around and I gave out candy dressed as Santa Claus. It made people so happy. <laughs> they ran up to me, uh, thanked me for the candy, and so many just wanted to have their picture taken with me as Santa Claus. There was a moment when two guys with a camcorder wanted to interview me, and so I said, sure. And just so many moments of people smiling at me, waving at me, or hugging me, and I could just see that I had added to the event that I had made it more fun and memorable for a lot of people. Now, um, I'm sure there, there were people there that also mocked me or laughed at me, you know, in some negative way. And if that did happen, and if I was aware of it at the time, I don't have any memories of it. All my memories are of the happy and appreciative people. So after several days, I I felt I had accomplished my goal. So to, to reference and paraphrase, I guess, the quote, I was not just observing my culture, but I was contributing to it. I was not a ghost. <laughs> Alright. Alright, here's really what I think is the most, to me, the most in interesting part of this. So, or the funniest, I don't know. So about a month later, something funny happened. Happened. I was visiting my nieces and nephews who lived on the other side of the state. And at one point during my visit, one looked at me sheepishly. I could... I could tell there was some strange question coming. And they asked me, did you go to Woodstock? And of course they were referring to the, the Woodstock 99, not the, the one in 69. And so I said, yes. And then they followed up with another question.
were you dressed as Santa Claus? And I paused. But then I said, yes. And one of them started jumping up and down saying, like, I told you so. I told you so. And I just looked at them and I said, how did you know? Because I hadn't really told anyone that I had done that. That was just my little thing I had done on the side. Not like on the side, but I just, I just did it for me. I didn't tell anyone I went and put on a Santa Claus, Santa Claus outfit and walked around. So, I, I asked them, how did you know? And they said they saw me interviewed on the news. And some of them thought it looked like me. <laughs> so that those two guys with that camcorder, I did not realize that that was like a news agency. They just seem like, like college guys with a handheld camcorder. So, I don't know, maybe I was just naive at the time. Just not aware, but... Or maybe they... Maybe they, you know, sold the footage or gave the footage to a news agency. I, I just remember thinking, or, or not thinking, that these guys had anything to do with a, with a news agency. Anyway, <laughs> as soon as my nieces and nephews, nephews found out that, sure enough, that was me on the news, <laughs> dressed as Santa Claus, and I was being interviewed on this news story about Woodstock, their, their eyes just lit up, and they just looked so proud. That I was their uncle. It's like I was the, you know, crazy but cool uncle. And that was an unusual moment for me for most of my life before that, being younger, because I was the person that was just quiet, you know, and not standing out in any way. But it was just one of several moments which confirmed I definitely wasn't a quiet egg anymore. It's been moments like that which have given me the courage to try other new things, some silly, some meaningful, but the important thing is moments like that have helped me to not fear failure as much, to be more open accepting of criticism 
and to take risks when others are watching. I guess in the end, I have realized that small and large contributions have small and large risks, but they also have small and large rewards. Alright, I think that's all I have to say about that. Tonight's quote is by Christopher Lydon. And here's the quote. Anyone who strikes a resonant note may be heard anywhere. And if it's a great resonant note, it might be heard everywhere. This quote was not in my quote book. I came across it a couple days ago in an article which was titled The Man Who Invented the Podcast. The article was published at theguardian.com on November 3rd, 2016, and was written by Nell Frizzell. So I, I don't even know where I saw the link, but I saw some link to the title of this article, and I really was not going to read it. At first, I figured it would just be a story about some tech nerd who uh, weaved together a bunch of computer code to create the, the core technology behind podcasts. <laughs> Even when I describe it that way, it, it actually sounds pretty interesting to me. <laughs> so it's funny that I just didn't feel like initially reading it. Maybe I just wasn't in the mood for a tech article. I don't know. I just remember pausing and then deciding, well, I really should read it because I should know something about the person who created podcasts. It was like this, I don't know, educational guilt. So I clicked it and the article explained that in 2003, 
this guy, Christopher Lydon, figured out how to syndicate MP3 files online, which led to the birth of podcasts. But then the article kind of gets confusing because some bits of the article call him the inventor of the podcast. And then other bits of the article say he was just the first voice on the first podcast. Ah, blah, 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 blah. That doesn't... <laughs> doesn't really matter. What I found intriguing and inspirational is the quotes from this man, Christopher Lydon, which were in the article. Christopher explained that the first podcast episode was a conversation with another guy, but it was the second recording that he explained, which suddenly got me very interested about him. He dedicated the second podcast recording or the second podcast episode to the American essayist and poet Ralph Waldo Emerson, who is definitely a very cool guy. So here's the quote from this podcast inventor guy that was in the article. In the middle of the 19th century, Emerson had the idea of a global species living in a realm of ideas with a human universal equality in rational thought and interactive culture. And suddenly, we had the tool. So this really intrigued me because he's explaining that he initially viewed podcasts as a way to spread thought and culture throughout the world. Uh, of course, the internet was already doing that, so. I guess that, I mean, that wasn't so profound. But he does then go into what was special about podcasts and the, the birth of podcasts. So here's what else he had to say. Podcasting was born out of the despair around the Iraq War. 
It was a political response to a giant breakdown in the American conversation, in the world conversation. I went to New York to demonstrate, and the New York Times didn't even cover it. Podcasting was about people speaking up in a time of traditional media oblivion. So I, I thought this was pretty cool because he wanted podcasting to allow for better representation of the news uh, world events and just perspectives and reporting, I guess. And then he explains this even more. At the beginning, we used to say every man, woman, and child, a broadcaster, a publisher, couldn't stand it if everybody was talking at the same time. But there's that quote from St. Augustine. God is a circle whose center is nowhere and whose circumference is everywhere. Podcasting is kind of like that. Anyone who strikes a resonant note may be heard anywhere. And if it's a great resonant note, it might be heard everywhere. Listening and working the range of human curiosity in fiction in political news, in science, is important. Podcasting is about more than hit shows, storytelling, more than a commercial gold rush, especially in this Trump-Clinton debacle. We need a public language that means something, that's credible. So I just, I, re I just really found this guy inspirational. I, I liked that he was not just talking about the technology behind podcasting, but the value of the messages inside the podcasts. And then he kind of finishes up with saying that the, the method of podcasting 
kind of is important to the message. It is fundamentally egalitarian, but also incredibly expressive. The human voice is loaded with signals we can't even begin to map. It's very intimate, revealing. We think there's a logic to making audio of this human music, but we also have the mission to keep that voice public. Well, I, I definitely agree with him when he says that podcasting is very intimate and revealing because I, I feel that. I, I feel that when I whisper to you and I also feel that when I listen to some other podcasts. I don't, I, usually these, the curious quote is about a lot of my perspectives on one small thing that someone else has said. But this is more so about just all the things he said already kind of say everything that I would want to say. I, I don't have much more to add to what he has said. It's just, if this guy is one of the fathers of the podcast, then I just have a stronger interest and affection might be even a better word. An affection of where podcasts came from and what podcasts can achieve. Alright, so to conclude all this with the initial quote, which was Anyone who strikes a resonant note may be heard anywhere. And if it's a great resonant note, it might be heard everywhere. His words are not just poetic, but they're applicable to so much more than podcasting, of course. There are many ways to send out great resonant notes. And I find his words and perspectives very inspirational. And encouraging to me or 
maybe to anyone, wanting to make a difference. Alright, that's all I have to say about that. Tonight's curious quote is by Aaron Hill. And this is what he says. There is no merit where there is no trial. It's a nice short quote. And this is another quote which is related to not giving up, um, not fearing failure, basically like going for it. It it has kind of been interesting going through my quote book and seeing themes like this one emerge. Before I started this podcast, I thought most of the quotes in my quote book were about different things. I I didn't realize that there were these themes and so many of the quotes were about these similar themes. It's just interesting. It is like my, it's like my quote book is psychoanalyzing me. (laughs) Or I am psychoanalyzing my quote book. Or I guess the reality is I'm psychoanalyzing myself through my quote book. I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Anyway. I have lots of quotes about dealing with failure, and this quote just fits in that theme. There is no merit where there is no trial, and I've definitely had lots of self-created trials in my life, meaning moments when I have attempted something which opened me up to the possibility of failure. One of those early moments in my life happened when I was about 12, I don't know exactly how old I was, like somewhere around 12, but I remember the occasion that this is relevant to, and my school was having hat day, <laughs> so there was an upcoming day at school at which All the students were being encouraged to wear any kind of hat 
that they wanted to. And I decided that I was going to wear a hat with a propeller on it. So, you know, you might have seen these silly beanie hats. They're often like multicolored and then there's a just a red plastic propeller on top that you can spin around when you tap it with your finger. All right. But here's the thing. I was going to create my own hat with a propeller <laughs> and mine was going to have a motor in it. So that way, from my hat, the propeller would always be spinning. So what I did was I took a motor, this small motor, out of a little electric car I had. And I got a battery and I rigged it up inside of a plastic helmet that I had. And I remember it being very frustrating because the challenge was to fit the battery and the motor inside the hat so it still fit okay with my head in there. And then it had to work okay without hurting my skull. And the propeller had to keep going round. And I remember sometimes the propeller wouldn't work and it wouldn't fit right and it would fall out. And I was just doing all this troubleshooting, trying to get it to work. My sister came in my room and saw me working on it and asked what I was doing and I told her. And she, as sisters will do, she laughed at me and said it was never going to work. And as brothers will do, that only motivated me more to get it to work. <laughs> and so sure enough, I finally got it working just the way I wanted it to. And I showed it to her. And she was so impressed. And it, I didn't expect that reaction from her. I thought she was still going to make fun of it. I thought she was going to criticize it in some way. But the minute I showed it to her, her eyes just lit up and she was so positive about it. And immediately, I remember she said that she wanted to wear it on hat day. <laughs> well, the problem was we both went to the same school and we both were going to be uh, in school on the day of hat day because it was the same day for both of us. So, if she wore it on hat day, then 
I wouldn't be able to wear it on hat day. And she begged me to wear it on hat day. But that wasn't my plan. My plan was that I was going to wear it on hat day. And after all, she, she was the one who said it wouldn't work. She is the one that said I would probably fail at making this hat. And this kind of brings me back to the quote. There is no merit where there is no trial. And so part of the merit I got out of doing this was just making that hat, you know, making that hat, and it worked. Another part of the merit that I got out of creating that hat was proving my sister wrong. But the moment I stood there in front of my sister, Showing her that hat and her being so impressed and positive about it. I knew that was my biggest merit. Not that I proved her wrong, but that I impressed her. That I impressed my sister. So I knew in that moment, because this is what I did. I happily and proudly gave her that hat to wear on hat day. And I, I wore something else. I don't even remember what I wore. I didn't really care because I just thought of my sister wearing that hat I made and how proud she was of me. And that hat. And that just brought me more joy than if I had worn that hat. <laughs> kind of makes me emotional telling that. Alright, I'm not going to talk anymore because... <laughs> not going to hear me cry on this podcast. I just, I have a lot of love for my sister. All right, that's all I have to say about that.